leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He is a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum. He's a regular on the program and he's also a star of the recently aired GM School on NBA TV, Darius Scott. Darius, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Star is a, star is a generous word, but I'll absolutely take it. <laughs> well, I mean, when there's there's only five contestants, I think all five can can be qualified as stars. Uh, but uh, you know, no, you were you were really good on there. That was that was really fun to watch, and really enjoyed it, and. Uh, uh, it was it was fun to get to see some some people that I know in in real life on the big screen. That was a blast. But uh, uh, Darius and I are going to be talking uh, free agency, and uh, for for those of you Duncan Dynasty fans, uh, uh, you might remember that Darius was on at this time. Well, not this time of year, but at free agency time last year uh, to discuss this. So this is our second annual free agency frenzy episode where we're going to go over the the moves that we've seen and and there have been a lot we're recording this on uh, on Sunday afternoon so we've had close to 2 days worth of uh, of moves and uh, Darius let's let's get started with the defending NBA champions the Los Angeles Lakers they have been very busy uh, they uh, they of course made the trade for uh, Dennis Schroeder and, and trading away Danny Green to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They signed Wesley Matthews with a one year three point six million dollar deal. They used the mid level exception to pick up Montrez Harrell on a two year nineteen million dollar contract. They retained Contavious Caldwell Pope at three years forty million. Javale McGee also uh, uh, accepted his player option, and uh, as far as losses, they did lose Dwight Howard to the Sixers and Avery Bradley to the Heat, uh, 
And uh, there's also rumors that Mark Gasol possibly might be going to L.A. So, Darius, when you when you look at this as a whole, uh, how do you feel the defending champions have done? Have they, uh, have they improved their odds at, uh, at repeating? Uh, so, my first thought when I saw everything was, um, clearly, they were trying to change how, I guess, how their second unit worked, right? With, with getting Dennis Schroeder, getting Montrose Harrell, they said, all right, we need some, some type of offense in our second unit that's not centered around uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? So, definitely when you see, like, Dennis Schroeder and Montrose Harrell, like, obviously, that pick and roll is probably going to be nasty. It's, it's going to be just going to just generate offense by itself. Um, are they going to play defense now? That's that's to be decided. But first thing I see is that they just wanted to show kind of like the offensive firepower on that second. Yeah, I mean uh, Dennis Schroeder certainly uh, can fill it up, and uh, you know as uh, as much criticism as uh, Montrez Harrell got for his postseason performance. We can't forget that uh, he averaged uh, basically 19 points a game, won the sixth man of the year award, is still a young guy, I believe uh, uh, around 27. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that I thought was, was a bit out of shape just due to unfortunate circumstances with his grandmother passing away. Uh, and, and he had to leave the bubble for that and was never able to get into uh, tip-top shape again. But, you know, I look at Harrell and I, I look at him two years ago in the postseason with the Clippers when they took the Warriors to, to six games, and, and Harrell looked pretty solid there. I, uh, I like the moves, and as you mentioned, the, the defense is a bit of a question mark, but uh, this team already has a solid defensive foundation with the likes of Davis, LeBron, Caruso, KCP, of course, coming back. So the fact that I feel like they've got a little bit more firepower offensively uh, is is really big for them. And you can't forget, too, that specifically Rondo did not really give them much in the regular season. He hasn't given any team that he's been on much in the regular season for a few years, whereas Schroeder is going to give them quite a bit more uh, on a night-in, night-out basis, uh, especially given this... Uh, 72 games sort of shortened schedule that we've got coming up for this upcoming season. So I like what those guys bring. I think they got younger, which I think was really important for this roster. Schroeder again and uh, and Harrell both in their mid-20s. Uh, getting some young talent to, to also convince Davis potentially to sign for a longer period of time could be huge. And as far as the postseason, you know, maybe Schroeder doesn't give you as much as Rondo did. Maybe the likes of Harrell doesn't give you as much as Dwight did at various times last postseason. But, uh, you know, those guys that the Lakers had are also really old, and they they might be regressing. It, 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 it wasn't guaranteed that those guys were going to continue to produce at the same level. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, to me, like, like the important thing is, is just, just to keep a guy on the floor that... LeBron James doesn't have to have the ball in his hands like 100% of the time because like as good as Anthony Davis is like he's not going to hold the ball at the top of the key he's not going to uh, generate offense in that manner and like bringing Dennis Schroeder in in end of game situations he, you can you can trust that, that the ball in his hands can net positive results and at the same time uh, what, what, what he'll give you that Rondo won't is a guy that you know he's just going to make shots um, Rondo isn't really generating uh offense like that um 
Shooter doesn't have his passing capability, but like Shooter's going to put the ball in the basket. Um, and, and and like you said, like bringing back KCP was huge. Uh, and like in, in, the, in the finals, like he was just he was unbelievable. Just like coming up with a big basket after after big basket. Um, I, I think like the Lakers are just, just going to be like pretty much right back where they were. Uh, probably maybe finals, probably uh, Western Conference finals. Uh, I, I still think this team is just as strong as they And as far as, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people criticizing the Harrell signing, just thinking, you know, you could you could get somebody that potentially could be in your closing five, and Harrell likely isn't, especially if, you know, Davis is best at the five and LeBron is best at the four. You know, Harrell is on the bench then in the, in the closing minutes. But, you know, to me that uh, is overrating. I think the options that were out there, I mean, Perhaps they could have gotten like a Jay Crowder there, but uh, do I think Jay Crowder is a significant upgrade in, in the closing five over like a Wes Matthews or even an Alex Caruso? I, I really don't think so. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, I, I, I and uh, looking what like Jay Crowder signed for, I, I don't, I don't know if like Lakers were willing to to pay that much. Um, being that like they like they're still like. Uh, Anthony Davis still hasn't signed yet. I mean, he, he's going to, but it's going to be for a big number in a lot of years. And you know, the KCP is three years, forty million. So, but uh, while Jay Crowder's good, he he might have played like a little above his head uh, in his in his in the past playoffs because like he was knocking down threes like left and right. And I don't know if like that type of consistency is in his wheelhouse. Right, yeah, he shot, I believe, under 30% for Memphis for most of last season. So, yeah, he uh, he has been inconsistent throughout his career. Um, and, and, yeah, you're absolutely right that uh, with, with the amount of money the Lakers are, uh, are spending, they certainly, um, you know, not only probably don't want to spend the money on Crowder, but also just the amount of years. You know, Harrell's contract is just two seasons, whereas uh, Jay Crowder signed for, for three and that probably that extra year is something the Lakers probably don't want to do at this time. But uh, you know, looking at their their overall framework, I would say postseason wise, I, I think they're a pretty similar team. Um, you know, if they if they were to acquire Marc Gasol, maybe that goes up another level um, because I do like the 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 potential offense defense combo with Harrell as your offensive center and Gasol as your defensive center. Uh, but uh, I do think that they definitely took a big step up in the regular season, and frankly, that matters, you know, especially this year when we're likely going to be back in arenas and home court advantage uh, might matter again. Yeah, um, yeah, like the Gasol thing is huge uh, because, like, I guess for, for whatever reason, Anthony Davis just almost refuses to play the five, which the team might actually be better with him there, but if they're going to go with, like, a traditional, like, Seven foot center and then six eleven power forward. Uh, Marcus Saul is probably the best option available, and he and like him and Anthony Davis will cause teams problems offensively, defensively. Like Gasol's ability to put the ball in the basket has definitely went down over the years, but he's still an excellent passer, and he's like he, he's still a sharp uh, basketball mind. So like they can generate so much in in, in that fashion, man. And, and yeah, like they're gonna. Like they're still going to be just as problematic as they were in the playoffs that they were last year. Yeah, the the passing is big too for you know because of again the loss of Rondo, they lost a little bit of team wide passing, and yeah, adding Gasol would would bring some of that back, and of course he would also bring some of that uh, center defense that they got from Dwight as well. So 
we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see if that if that materializes. But uh, moving on to the team that uh, the Lakers ended up beating in the NBA Finals, the Miami Heat. Uh, you know, not a ton going on here, but uh, they did retain Goran Dragic on a two-year, thirty-seven point four million dollar deal, uh, and then also Myers Leonard for two years, twenty million. And then they added a, a former Laker, Avery Bradley, on a two-year, $11.6 million contract. And then got uh, Mo Harkless to, uh, to add some depth on the wing for a one-year, $3.6 million deal. If you notice, all these contracts are either one year or two years with a team option or non-guaranteed on that second year. So Miami can continue to play the uh, Giannis sweepstakes for 2021. Um, and then as far as departures for the Heat... Jay Crowder went to Phoenix on a three-year, $30 million deal, and then Derek Jones Jr. went to the Blazers. But uh, Darius, as far as, uh, as far as the Eastern Conference champions are concerned, how do you feel about their offseason thus far? Uh, I think like, the big takeaway right now is like they're pretty set on trying to run it back with a similar roster that they had last year, and also at the same time, staying play for Giannis next year. Um, they didn't like you said, like, no one is really one, uh, other, other than, like, Dragic, like, no one's on the books for next year, so there's plenty of room to try and get Giannis at, at that time, and at the same time, they're bringing pretty much back a similar roster as last year, uh, Jay Crowder being, like, like you said, the person who left, but placing him with more heartless, um, that gives you, like, another small forward slash power forward type of player, uh, who can... I wouldn't say he's a shooter necessarily, but but he will he, he will shoot the three and his 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 calling card is defense. So again, same 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 type of squad to try and run it back and, and do the same thing next year. Yeah, what I what I think is interesting, especially when they you know with the the loss of of Crowder and Jones Jr. Uh, is like you know. Does Miami stick with what they did in the bubble this upcoming season and start Bam at the five and and play a wing essentially at the four, or do they go back to what they did prior to the shutdown where they had Myers Leonard starting and Bam at the four? These moves almost make me feel like they'll go back to that at least for the regular season, um, given that you know Mo Harkless, yes, he he could play a little four, but he's not as stout as a Jay Crowder. And then also Avery Bradley isn't uh, isn't somebody that uh, has a, has a ton of size either. So they've gotten a little bit smaller with their transactions. But uh, you know, again, Bradley and Harkless are both good defenders, so they haven't really lost it in terms of defensive talent. Just maybe a little bit in terms of that uh, defensive versatility and the ability to switch uh, multiple positions. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That like they're. Like they're definitely probably going to return to bringing Dragic off the bench and uh, starting like Myers Leonard, so that you know Bam does doesn't like he can go a whole season trying to hold up at at, at, at the center for this. Like he, so he doesn't need to do that because uh, um, like similar like to what I was saying about Anthony Davis, one of the reasons why he doesn't like playing the five is because it's a lot of uh, wear and tear playing center. All the time. So it, it, it would definitely make sense that they know what their best lineup is, but they don't need to employ it until it really matters. Yeah, and as uh, as Bolster showed in in the uh, in the bubble, like you know, for whenever it gets to uh, the the playoffs, which I think are slated to start in May this season, 
Uh, the, he can just uh, he can just immediately move Bam in, into that f- uh, five spot as soon as uh, the postseason play begins. But uh, let's move on now to the Denver Nuggets, the Western Conference finalist. Uh, they uh, they to me had a, a bit of a disappointing season, starting off by losing Jeremy Grant. Grant signed a three-year, sixty million dollar deal with the Detroit Pistons. And uh, apparently the Nuggets were willing to match that offer, but Grant chose to play on on Detroit, where he uh, is expected to have an increased offensive role. Uh, they uh, they did respond well by uh, by signing Jamichael Green on a two-year, fifteen million dollar contract. They also re-signed Paul Millsap on a one-year, ten million dollar deal. They uh, they picked up Real Madrid guard. And, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly, but Facundo Campazzo on a two-year deal. Apparently he's got some skill as a, uh, as a guard. Uh, but uh, they also uh, not only lost Grant, but then they, uh, they did not uh, extend a qualifying offer to Torrey Craig and let him walk. And uh, it was a pretty reasonable price for Craig, but I look at this roster now, and with the loss of Grant and Craig, they don't have any legit small forwards. That was my biggest takeaway from everything that happened was that when it comes down to, I guess, an inevitable matchup with the Lakers or the Clippers, uh, who's going to be the one to guard Kawhi with LeBron? Because uh, going into the matchup, I, 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 going into the matchup with the Clippers, I was unsure if Jeremy Grant was going to be able to help a little bit against Kawhi. And while nobody's truly shutting down Kawhi, Jeremy Grant, like, he did extremely well. He, he held up well. And then offensively, he knocked out shots. Like, like Jeremy Barrett pretty much did everything he needed him to do at that position for the type of player that he is. And, and I, I, was, so I, I was shocked to see him go. And then obviously, Tory Craig, I'm like, all right, it's, it's not going to be a steep price to keep him. And then they, they pull his qualifying offer. And I'm just looking at the roster. I'm like, who is going to? Like, who's going to guard those guys? Like, I, I don't know. Like, are, are you thinking, well, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like that's really their only option now, yeah, is, is putting Barton at the three, and that'll be fine, totally fine offensively. Uh, and, and for the regular season, I'm sure it won't be an issue. But as you said, when it gets to the postseason, when you have to face a Kawhi Leonard, when you have to face a LeBron James, not having those guys on the roster is going to be a big, big problem. And, uh, you know, yes, Jeremy Grant got overpaid by Detroit, uh, but at the same time, what he brought was just so valuable. And, and I think it was so valuable when you factor in the combination of Grant and, uh, and Michael Porter Jr., you know, being able to play two, two uh, you know, guys that can play the three or the four, both can shoot the basketball both can put the ball on the floor a little bit, but then defensively, Porter Jr., you want him on a weaker player so that he can be around the rim, maybe be a secondary rim protector, and then have that guy in Grant or Craig that can then defend the other team's best wing, best perimeter player, and, and yeah, they, they just don't have it now. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be difficult for them to find it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's it's the, those guys are the most valuable players in the NBA for a reason, and for Denver, you know they they forked over a first round pick to acquire Grant. They, uh, you know, they, they thought he would fit into their system, and he fit perfectly. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, he he doesn't think that uh, 
his role was was advanced enough, even though I thought it was uh, really perfectly suited for his skill set. Do you think that overpaying him would have been the right move for Denver? Because like he like he was perfect for what they were trying to do, and uh, them taking the Clippers to seven. I'm sorry, the, the, the them taking the Clippers to seven and eventually beating them, and then like doing as well as they, as, as they did just throughout the playoffs. Um, I think like Jeremy Graham is just a huge part of that. Do you think like they should have kind of overpaid to keep? I mean, like, uh, so because I mean, the the reports were that they did essentially match the offer. Are you saying? Do I think they should have even gone beyond Detroit's offer? Um, that's that's a tough question because yeah, twenty million a year is is too much for him. But at the same time, uh, you know, they 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 lost him for nothing. There's no way to replace him. They're not going to have uh, a bunch of salary cap space because they've already got. Jokic and Murray signed to, to big deals. Uh, so, you know, you, you talk about Barton and Harris. They've already had their paydays. So this team has no way of, uh, of spending money and, and just getting a guy like him. So, I mean, yeah, I think I would. Because the, the question at that point is, you know, you're just paying him and, and then going into the tax, essentially. Now, the Denver ownership has, has shown an unwillingness to, to go into the tax. So it could be a situation where the GM might have talked to ownership and said, you know, how much can we go up on this? And at a certain point, ownership said, that's, that's enough. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a critical blow to this team, not only for this season, but moving forward that they lost a guy that uh, is still just 27 years old and is a perfect fit on this roster. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was stuck that uh, question uh, pretty much all, all weekend, and I, I agree with you. I, I think Ed, like like not having him is probably going uh, to define whether they have a championship or not, and um, it's looking like, at least at this point right now, with Jeremy Grant not being there, uh, I don't think they can get out of probably the second round. Like As well as they, as, as they did play against the Clippers, if, I, I feel like if that situation were to arise again, I don't know if like Yeah, I mean, the, the only way I could see them making a, a conference finals or further is if Michael Porter Jr. takes just a giant step and this team is literally just unstoppable on the offensive end. Uh, but, but yeah, typically championship caliber teams, you've got to be borderline top 10 on both ends of the floor. And, uh, you know, Denver lost uh, with, with not only Grant, but also Craig, that ability, I think, to be an elite defensive unit. But uh, let's let's move on to you know we, we, we got talking about the Pistons there and 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 they are involved with a, a lot of things uh, in this free agency they've maybe been the most busy team of all thirty uh, they they as I mentioned signed Jeremy Grant this one was puzzling they signed Mason Plumley uh, the Denver's backup center to a three year twenty five million dollar contract they signed Jaleel Okafor to a two year deal. They signed uh, former number four overall pick Josh Jackson to a to a I believe a one year contract. They then traded for Delon Wright, and then signed and traded away Christian Wood, a, a very young promising center that they had on their roster. Wood goes to 
Houston. On draft night, uh, the, the Pistons traded for Tony Bradley and then drafted Killian Hayes seventh overall. Um, the, and then also drafted a center in Isaiah Stewart with the 16th pick. But my question is, Wood got three years and $41 million from uh, the Rockets. You spend 25 on Mason Plumley. You sign Okafor. You draft a center 16th. At that point, you're nearly investing as much as the Rockets have invested in Christian Wood. Why not just keep him? I, look, I don't understand anything uh, the Pistons have done this year or so far. It's like they've spent a whole bunch of money on backup centers, and the one starting caliber center that they had, they let him go, which, again, doesn't make any sense. And, I mean, like, I don't even know where to start because, like, one of the one of Jalil uh, Okafor or Mason Plumlee has to start. And neither neither of those guys are, are, are worthy of starting. So, again, I don't understand the massive overpays for the just, just backup centers. Um, yeah, like, I don't, I, I truly don't know what to make of it. Like, it's, it's all bad. Like, like, the only good thing to come with their offseason is that Josh Smith is finally off, off of their books. <laughs> right, yep. Um, I saw Dan Feldman had a tweet that, like, congratulations to the Pistons, happy Josh Smith is off your books day. <laughs> and, uh, uh, that that was uh, that was that's pretty funny considering he's been irrelevant in the NBA conversation for quite some time. But uh, they also uh, the Pistons also traded Luke Kennard in a three-team deal for uh, what became the 19th pick in the draft and drafted uh, I believe it was Villanova forward Sadiq Bay. Uh, but yeah, they um, you know I, I like the from the little that I've watched I like the value of getting uh, Killian Hayes at the seventh pick. Um, you know, DeLon Wright is a, uh, you know, a, a solid player, and I think Dallas just wanted to get his, his contract off the books, so they were able to acquire a solid player uh, for, for very little. But, but yeah, there, there is just a question mark as to what exactly they're doing with this roster. It's not exactly a great shooting team, and as you mentioned, the center position is incredibly weak now. The only people you can blame are the people in the, in the Pistons' front office for that. But I mean, we were saying we were the saying the same thing three years ago with Mason Plumley. Maybe there's something in the water with these. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, you know, his last contract was uh, was what's seemingly a huge overpay with the Nuggets, and then you know, for years and years, all you hear is, uh, "Wow, Mason Plumley," or "Yeah, Mason Plumley is way overpaid," and then a team just does it again. Um, now, in in this case, you know, if if you're paying for your starting center. Uh, that's that's one thing, but yeah, if if uh, if your off-season strategy is yes, Mason Plumlee's going to be our starting center, you know that's probably wrong from the get-go. Yeah, the uh, it must be. It's, it's something with these Plumlee brothers because he's, <laughs> he's not the he's not the only Plumlee brother where it's just like the the off-season signing is like good good for him, but bad for everybody else. Yeah, and Miles, I believe, uh, wasn't Miles Plumley stretched at one point as well? Yeah, I think it was the Hawks that gave him like a three-year, fifty million dollars deal or something like that. <laughs> like after he showed absolutely nothing in the league, and again, good for him. 
situations you got a good player, but Jeremy Grant was able to reach his ceiling because he was able to play around Jamal Murray and and, and Jokic, who were like he, he's a great complement to those players. Now you're pretty much asking, or you're paying Jeremy Grant like a guy who you're you're telling, hey, go be the guy who's going to you know get us buckets and and make plays. I don't think he's that guy. I don't either. Yeah, I, I, I literally think his offensive role with Denver, which is, you know, was a spot-up shooter, cutter, occasional driver when, uh, you know, the defense closed out. I thought that was literally the uh, the perfect system for him and to be able to play with a, a brilliant passer like Nikola Jokic that could take advantage of his size and athleticism rolling to the rim. Yeah, it uh, it was perfect in Denver. It's, it's very confusing to me why these players are... And it's not even him choosing money. It's him choosing a essentially a selfish role, like the way he wants to play over over money and over winning, which is uh, a bit disappointing if you ask me. And uh, speaking of another guy that has chosen role and money over winning, uh, we've got to move on to uh, Gordon Hayward <laughs> uh, signing a, uh, a four-year, $120 million deal with the uh, with the Charlotte Hornets, and uh, let's let's talk about the Boston side of this first because they've now lost Gordon Hayward. They end up uh, um, letting Wanamaker walk as well, and Wanamaker ended up signing with the Warriors. So a couple of of guard slash forwards in their rotation in their playoff rotation last year are now gone. Uh, they they also let uh, Enos Cantor go to. Uh, to Portland, they did. Uh, they did respond by signing Tristan Thompson to a two-year, nineteen million dollar contract. And uh, in the draft, uh, they they drafted Aaron Nesmith, who uh, who I thought was a really impressive wing shooter with the fourteenth pick. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on on Boston now that they've they've lost uh, Gordon Hayward? Uh, so like, there's like different levels of confusion to what Boston is going. Um, so, like, not bringing Brad Wanamaker back is, like, probably the biggest head-scratcher because, like, he was just, he was, he was cheap. Obviously, he signed for the Warriors for, uh, not much. So, like, they, they, they could have brought him back on something cheap. And they replaced him with, uh, did you mention that uh, Jeff T got signed by them? Oh, no, I, I didn't even know that, so thanks for saying that. Okay. Yeah, 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 the, the Celtics uh, grabbed Jeff T. I guess as his replacement, and maybe it's a lateral move, if, if anything. But like Jeff T also isn't as good as a defender, so like you're losing that aspect. And and then like uh, like losing Gordon Hayward, it's it's disappointing. But they were so forward heavy at that position with like Tatum and Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward being like so interchangeable. Um, that I, I feel like it, it's a it, like it's it's an okay move being that like you can slide Marcus Smart into the uh, in, 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 into I guess their start lineup I guess play him at, at the other guard so that uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can play the three and the four. So I, I so I'm, I'm not sure if losing uh, Hayward is that big of a deal, and so like I'm. While I would have liked to see him stay, I don't think it's going to hurt him as bad that he's leaving. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't get to see, uh, 
you know, Gordon Hayward at, at peak form in the postseason due to him suffering that grade three sprain of his ankle uh, in the first game of the playoffs. So, um, you know, I, I do think it's a, it's a bit of a loss. I think one of the things that Hayward provided this roster that they just don't have enough of is, is passing and playmaking. Um, you know, Tatum certainly has improved that quite a bit, but uh, Kemba Walker is more you know, a, a score first guard. Jalen Brown isn't the uh, the most adept passer. Um, so, you know, without Hayward, they're very reliant on on Tatum and Smart to be the, the playmakers. Now, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Teague. It's it's funny, you know, there's just so much news cycling in that, uh, you know, the, the first day I missed that the Jazz signed Derek Favors, and uh, I, I totally missed that uh, the Celtics got Jeff Teague. But, uh yeah, I think his passing is gonna be is gonna be a loss, and also just having a having a, a wing with you know six eight size and uh, the ability to vent, defend multiple positions and also play on and off the ball is is pretty valuable. And uh, Wanamaker was the same way; he could do a little bit on the ball, he could play off the ball and be a spot up shooter and defend multiple positions. Same with you know with Denver not uh, not re-signing Craig. It's yeah, it, it is puzzling that Boston would just let a competent uh, rotation piece just walk for what ended up being a one-year, two-point-two-five million-dollar deal that Wanamaker signed with Golden State. Um, but yet you know the, the Celtics team without Hayward, without Wanamaker, they're going to be very reliant on somebody like a Romeo Langford or as I mentioned that uh, first-round draft pick. Aaron Nesmith to step up and and produce for them at the wing because th- there are minutes available. Yeah, so so I will say this: like I I, I I did think yes, like were they better with Gordon Hayward? Sure, but they also got extremely far without him. Um, I think he got hurt in the first round series. It was and yeah, first game. Yeah, he and, and and he missed the series with the Raptors and uh, a couple games against the Heat. And they were still able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals without him. And then I think they won the one game with him, and and then they ended up losing a five to the uh, to to the Heat. But but like I I still feel like they can they can be like a very like they can still be very successful without him. Um, and and they're just gonna have to find like something else to make it work. Uh, I, I don't and and. I guess they think maybe just adding to the center position was the answer to that. I, I personally don't think there's much of a difference between what Tristan Thompson's going to give them and what uh, Aaron, uh, not Aaron Baines, uh, uh, Daniel Tice will. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little confused at what Boston did in, 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 in total. Because, like, like you said, there is a minutes available at the, uh, at, at the forward position now. And I don't I'm just not sure how they're going to uh, figure everything out, to be honest. Yeah, and and again, like when you talk about the playoff setting, uh, there's there's a debate whether Jeff T can stay on the floor defensively, um, whereas Wanamaker, I think, was was a pretty solid, stout defender for them. So um, you know, even looking at that, yeah, Jeff Teague is probably a better player than Wanamaker is overall. But I think in terms of in the specific role that they're going to be, uh, you know, playing. I think Wanamaker was was a better fit, um, and and yeah, it, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see you know um, yeah with with Tice and Thompson there, uh, of course they've got uh, you know the the Williamses uh, Grant Williams that can 
a guy that can switch some at the at the five, and then you've also got Robert Williams that brings you more of that uh, dynamic athleticism. So they've got some they've got some options now at the center spot. Uh, but but yeah, you, you look at this roster and you say, you know, the only way this team's going to be better than they were last year in my mind is if they get legitimate leaps from some of their young talent. Yeah, and I I just don't foresee that happening. Uh, I mean, I've I've been I've been wrong in the past before, but as as of right now, I, I just see like they're going to have to on a, on a consistent basis for an entire season superstar production from uh, Jason Tatum. I mean, he, he did that majority of the season last year, but now he's going to have to do that consistently moving forward. And kind of the same thing from uh, Jalen Brown, just star, all-star level, superstar level production for them to, you know, get back to where they were last year and even get beyond that. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, so let's move on to another team that, uh, that lost in the in the conference semis, and that is the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Clippers uh, were involved in that deal I mentioned earlier where the Pistons swapped the 19th pick, or excuse me, swapped Luke Kennard for the 19th pick in the draft. The Clippers then swapped Landry Shamit for Kennard. Um, and uh, then they also re-signed Marcus Morris on a four-year, $64 million contract. Also re-signed uh, Patrick Patterson for the end of their bench. They did lose Montrez Harrell, as I mentioned earlier, to the Los Angeles Lakers, and then Jermichael Green to the Nuggets. And uh, for a moment there, Darius, I was really worried about the Clippers and, and really what was their plan uh, because, you know, their center position all of a sudden, losing two of the three guys that were in their rotation, uh, was, uh, was, was looking bereft of talent. But then all of a sudden, in comes Sergi Baca on a two-year deal, and everything is all right in Clipperland. Yeah, I think uh, Surge might actually be a bit of an uh, of an upgrade from uh, Montrezl Harrell, being that he's not the same pick and roll threat that Harrell is, but defensively he'll just be able to give them a lot more a lot. Uh, he's a he's a pretty consistent outside shooter. Um, yeah, he yeah, I think he definitely shows up that like backup four or five center situation and like he can give them other options if, if they don't want to play some bunch a ton of minutes which I guess they just refused to do last year so like like, like Serge gives them a, a, a ton of flexibility what to do at the power forward center position in, in terms of uh, in terms of the defense so I like what they did I, I think the, the Marcus Morris paying him four years 64 million was a bit of an overpay but when you trade a first-round pick for a guy, I feel like you're just obligated to to like pay whatever it takes to keep. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think the 16 mil a year is an overpay. It's just the amount of years. I think uh, you know, given his age, I think he's he's basically I think around 30 now. Uh, oh, you'd you'd so. much rather that be a two or three year contract as opposed to four, but. Um, you know, just as far as as far as his value, I think sixteen million is is pretty decent, at least for this year. Um, the uh, and and yeah, you you brought it up with Serge Ibaka, giving them the versatility. They can go they can go big if they want now with Serge playing a little bit at the four. And and also, what I love about it is, you know, the the big problem defensively with the Clippers last year is when they took Zubac off the floor, uh, they they lost that rim protection element. Um, whereas uh, you know. 
now with Ibaka, they can uh, not only when they bring him on for Zubac do they add a spacing element on the offensive end, but they maintain that rim protection uh, and that uh, that presence in the paint. So I think that's 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 super critical, you know, to just have 48 minutes of solid rim protection for this team. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, he's a he's a definite upgrade over what they had. As good as Harrell is, uh, Serge Ibaka is just that good of a two-way force uh, that uh, that I think it's a really really solid move for them. The uh, the Shamit for Canard swap, I'm I'm not that into it. They did win the value assessment because they I think they got four second round picks out of that deal. Um, but uh, I, I do like uh, I, I've always been a, a big fan of Shamit. I do like him more than Canard. I think Canard his skill set sort of overlaps a little bit too much with Lou Williams. I guess maybe their thought is that uh, um, perhaps this would allow them to trade Williams if he still has some value to get something else and then have, still have that ball handler in Kennard that can create plays on the second unit. But uh, I, I'm not as big of a fan of that swap as some. Yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking that like this will eventually lead to uh, them re-signing uh, Luke Kennard and eventually getting rid of Luke Williams. So Luke Kennard, I guess, will eventually fill, fill that role. Again, I don't know if that's the right decision. Like, Kennard, like he, I think last year he only played a couple of weeks and then missed pretty much the entire season. Uh, so, like, I guess you're just assuming he's just over his knee issue. Um, yeah, like, like Kennard's a, a nice player, uh, but I don't like the thought process, I guess, behind what they're what they're thinking he's he, he's going to get. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think they. I think they haven't proved though. I think they. Um, you know, if there if there was a gap between the Lakers and the Clippers heading into this off season, I think as much as I think the Lakers have have done a decent job, uh, I think the Clippers have closed the gap a little bit because yeah, Ibaka is a legitimate upgrade over what they had. Um, so so let's move on to uh, another Eastern Conference semifinalist, the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, they've made some some noise uh, right off the bat. They they made the first couple of big moves, trading for Drew Holiday. They ended up sending Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, and uh, three first round picks as well as two pick swaps to uh, to New Orleans. And uh, you know he's a guy that I think is a definite upgrade over Bledsoe, especially come postseason. But then they made a second deal, which was a sign-in trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich. And I think Bogdanovich was a guy that would fulfill or, or um, would, would fix a few of their issues as far as their, you know, the, the team didn't have enough ace shooters. I think he's a legitimately pretty darn good three-point shooter. And then also just uh, lack the team lacking playmaking and, and pick-and-roll creators, and Bogdanovich can do that as well. So the fact that that deal went kaput is, uh, is, a, is a bummer for Milwaukee, but they've responded reasonably well, filling, they've, they've gone more towards, okay, well, if we didn't get that, uh, another, like, really, you know, borderline all-star caliber player in Bogdanovich, let's just make sure we've got a deep team. And uh, they were able to re-sign Pat Connaughton on a three-year, $16 million deal. They signed DJ Augustine as a backup point guard to replace George Hill. For three years and $21 million. They signed Bobby Portis to a two-year contract, as well as Bryn Forbes, and they also got Torrey Craig. So, uh, 
you know, it's been a whirlwind for uh, for this uh, Bucks team, Darius. But how do you feel like they've they've come out of this? Uh, so the Tory Craig news is news to me. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> another an, another thing that we miss as fast as everything is moving. So so I think I think that's not bad. That's that's actually pretty good. Um, I was very worried about their forward depth and I guess backup center depth um, just because I trust Bobby Porter about as far as I can throw him um, and and then beyond him is I guess the backup big man is DJ Wilson so it's so like I don't I, I feel like they, they need some alternative to like a, a backup forward or, or, or center if like got this something happens to to Brooke Lopez and he has to miss like a couple of games or a couple of weeks or something. I I just don't know if there's much there. So um, I'm I'm definitely extremely worried about that. Um, but other than that, I love the the, the, the Drew Hyde pickup. But that was um, I, I think like he's a, an obvious and clear upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. And um, the issues in the playoffs that that they had. From the guard position, Drew Holiday will like fix up for sure. So I, I think they're really good in that aspect, but I am like highly concerned about like their backup big Yeah, and uh, as f- as far as I know, Robin Lopez initially, um, you know, passed on his player option to facilitate the Bogdanovich deal, and then despite the fact that that deal didn't end up happening, his decision went through. Um, so, so he could theoretically be back at the, uh, at the backup five spot, but, uh, I, I believe Robin Lopez is signing with the Wizards. Oh, okay. More, more news that I didn't know. Thank you for, for saying that. Um, so yeah, it, it is a question what they're going to do there. Um, and you know, the, the other, the other news, the, of course, the, the big impetus to making these trades was to get Giannis to sign on the dotted line to uh, accept that Supermax extension, and he has not done so yet. And uh, my other big concern about, you know, the Drew Holiday trade going through is is nice. It definitely helps. But he's also, you know, 30 years old. What I thought the Bogdanovich thing did, not only, as I mentioned, uh, you know, fixed a couple of their issues in terms of their playoff abilities, but also he's 27, and he's a guy that if he was signed on a sign-and-trade, it has to be at least three years. You know, a guy at 27 that Giannis could look at and say, okay, this guy is uh, somebody that I'll have around here for the foreseeable future. The rest of this roster, you know, even the signings of, like, DJ Augustine, he's in his 30s, Middleton, um, Brooke Lopez, uh, a lot of this roster around Giannis is, uh, you know, has has already reached their peak and has passed their prime. So if you're Giannis at this point, is uh, is this enough to convince you to uh, commit your future to Milwaukee? Like the effort was there to try and like make this thing work with Giannis, but like they haven't done or like like the moves. I don't think are going to are going to pan out. In a, in a way that's going to see out as they're not going to pan out in a way that's going to make him happy. I, I don't. I feel like um, because there's there's just but like you said, like the youth on the team just isn't there. Like a lot of these players are, are much older. Um, a 
lot of some some guys are overpaid. Uh, I, I personally think DJ Augustin maybe is a little overpaid. Three years, twenty one million seems like a lot. Um, and, and and yeah, like I don't know if like these moves get them over the hump, and because like the Eastern Conference is going to be extremely competitive this year, and I'm not convinced that these moves are going to get them over over the hump last year. Yeah, I mean, my my the, the thing that made me excited about the Bogdanovich acquisition is yes, like um, Bogdanovich, Middleton, uh, Holiday, none of those guys are like A plus pick and roll creators. They're all like B level guys. But if you've got three of those guys, you can get the ball out of Giannis's hands more often. You know, you can still let the Greek freak uh, run wild in transition, but in the half court, let him be more of a screener. And if you've got multiple pick and roll creators that can operate and and make plays and and make shots uh, that that is how I think this Bucks team can have the most success offensively in the half court but without Bogdanovich you know uh, I don't I still don't think they have enough and and frankly if I'm Giannis I am I am not signing that extension yet uh, I as uh, as much as you said yeah they they put in the effort they tried to get this done uh, whoever leaked that news, if that's uh, if that's somebody within the Bucks organization, man oh man, must they be sweating at this point because they could have cost their franchise, uh, you know, multiple championships if it's the difference between Giannis being here for the next five to ten years and Giannis being in Dallas or in Miami or in Toronto come next offseason. Yeah, and, and like, I, I think like, like the other thing about that is the, like, like Bogdanovich is like he's he's a good enough ball handler that you almost don't need to sign a, like a, a, like a high level backup point guard because if Gerard is off, off off the floor, like I would trust Bogdanovich enough to be your your main ball and you could stagger those two enough that um, Bogdanovich would have been like a, like a nice backup point guard slash secondary uh, ball handler. And now that, I mean, obviously he's not going to be there. He's like, those, those uh, funds are, are committed to, like, a guy like DJ Augustin, who is a clear captain over uh, Bogdanovich, and obviously over. So, like, yeah, that news getting leaked just completely tor- just torpedoed their, uh, their offseason. Yeah, and you, you have to also factor in that Bogdanovich has got pretty good size as well. They had what appeared to be an unbelievably great uh, uh, potential like switching lineup other than Brooke Lopez but the four other guys could all switch really effectively uh, and uh, yeah they they lose that and and yeah guys like Tory Craig DJ Augustine Bryn Forbes like yeah those are uh, you know and even re-signing Pat Connaughton yeah those are good guys to have on your bench but come playoff time they all take something off the table uh, whereas uh, you know that's why it is so so big to have those those two way forces that are that are pluses on both ends of the court, but uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, what news comes out about Giannis potentially signing that, and uh, uh, obviously Milwaukee uh, and their fans will have to sweat for the foreseeable future. But moving on to one of the teams that has a chance at Giannis, uh, the Toronto Raptors, they did really what I thought they had to do as far as to. Uh, 
Um, the, the key thing to make their roster look appealing for Giannis next year was to retain Fred Van Fleet, and they did so signing him to a four-year, $85 million contract. Uh, they, uh, they did lose Serge Ibaka, as I mentioned, to the Clippers, and uh, there's, there's a decent chance that Marcus Gasol is leaving for either Spain or the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, so despite the fact that, yes, I think Van Fleet was the key for 2021, the question now goes to this upcoming season, what does Toronto do at center? Certainly they don't want to be uh, starting Rondé Hollis-Jefferson at the five. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a... Uh, <laughs> that is absolute... We cannot do that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know like what the Raptors are going to this year in terms of just like take a step back and and I think they're okay with that because like I mean obviously like all these teams are just trying to, to stay in the running for, for Giannis so like, I'm I'm okay with like like, like the Raptors with the Raptors uh, lack of moves right now like getting Fred VanVleet locked up was was pretty big and uh, they they got that done and and now it's just continue to to like grow their team like. There's not much else they can do except, uh, I guess, just wait. Yeah, it's um, it'll be interesting. You know, they uh, there's still there's still a few centers out there that they could uh, that uh, that that maybe could be a backup plan for the Raptors. As far as I know, Aaron Baines hasn't signed anywhere yet. Uh, so they they've got uh, they've got a few options if if Gasol does leave as well. But uh, certainly, it's going to hurt their chances here in. Uh, in the 2020-2021 season, uh, but uh, yeah, it uh, it is it is interesting how all of these teams, like Toronto, like Miami, like Dallas, have have really played it so that uh, they've got that cap space, and uh, and that might be a a bad sign if you're a Bucks fan. Going back to 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 Giannis potentially signing that or not. It, again, what a whirlwind where. It felt like uh, prior to this offseason, it felt like Giannis was likely to leave. And then, you know, after the, the news of the Bogdanovich deal, it, it felt like, oh, the Bucks have about a 90% chance that he'll sign. And, and now it's back to, I don't know, uh, 50, 60% in my mind. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. But yeah, Toronto certainly, I think, is going to take a, a slight step back. But they were really, frankly, not, uh, in my mind, a, a true contender, even if they brought everybody back this season. I think they would, similar to last year, have been a, a second-round exit. Yeah, I mean, like, like the roster, even, even last year, just clear, clear limitations. But, uh, and I, I'm, and I, I do, I am curious how they're going to, how they're going to fare, being that they're not even playing in Toronto this year, they're going to be the Tampa Bay Raptors. So I wonder, like, what effect that'll have on them, if any. Um, just in this like strange year and I guess time the whole world is in. Uh, I'm, I, I wonder how like that that would affect them regardless. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about like you know Ibaka and Gasol's decisions and how that factored in uh, because yeah, it's. Uh, typically, one of the benefits of re-signing with your former team is you don't have to move, you don't have to come up with new housing, you don't have to deal with all of that. But in this case, they would have. So, uh, yeah, maybe that was extra motivation for Ibaka to say, "Well, if I have to move anyway, I might as well, 
go to a go to a different place. But uh, yeah, it uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see them in Tampa Bay, and uh, yeah, what that uh, how long that that sticks if that's uh, for just this season or or potentially longer, depending on how this uh, how long the uh, this darn coronavirus lasts. But um, yeah, uh, so let's move on to. Uh, to another team that uh, that made the second round of the playoffs and then was defeated by the eventual champion Lakers, and that is the Houston Rockets. Uh, they've been in the news because, uh, of course, both of their star players in, in James Harden and Russell Westbrook have uh, essentially requested trades, Harden wanting to uh, move to Brooklyn, and uh, Westbrook not really having too many suitors out there given his uh, his contract and his uh, declining play. But... Uh, the, the Rockets did trade Robert Covington for uh, Trevor Ariza and two first-round picks, and they ended up uh, dumping Ariza later. Uh, I did mention earlier with Detroit that they uh, did a sign-and-trade with the Pistons to bring in Christian Wood, uh, which I think offensively is, uh, is a great fit. He's a guy that can, that can run pick-and-roll and be a rim roller, but then also can space the floor to three, shot over 40% with Detroit last season. Uh, but uh, you know, with uh, with the Covington deal, you gotta wonder though. You know, if this team's trying to compete still, that that hurts them in the present. And uh, you know, would I, I feel like, uh, given that he's very much an offensive center, maybe a little bit uh, limited on the defensive end. I, I wonder how much he's going to help come postseason. I certainly think he's going to be able to put up big numbers in the regular season, but. But yeah, if this team wasn't uh, at the level of a contender last year, which seemingly they weren't, uh, I, I have a hard time envisioning that they're going to be improved for for the upcoming campaign. Yeah, I don't know how to how to feel about the Rockets because they're clearly trying to get off of or they want to move Westbrook, they want to move Harden, but I don't think I, I don't think that they feel like they absolutely have to. So in the event that they don't. Are they just going to just stay and try and be competitive? And if and it, 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 like if that's the case, like they're clearly like this clearly isn't a competitive team, or, or, or not competitive, but like they're not going to be uh, like a true contender. So like I don't know what 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 they think they're trying to do, or like what they are trying to do. Like I'm I'm, I'm so confused there because I feel like the uh, just like the signing of like Christian Wood is like, well, he's a good player. I, I, I think like come, come playoff time, like yeah, like he's gonna he's gonna be like maybe a little in above his head when he, when he has to go against likes like Anthony Davis. But yeah, like the the Rockets the Rockets whole situation is uh, very confusing. Yeah, and uh, you know they certainly with with Tillman Fertitta are, are constantly trying to not pay the tax so that's been a part of uh, <laughs> that's been a part of the the Covington deal and then also offloading Ariza afterwards um, and uh, you know I think the value for uh, for wood is is solid at three years 41 million for for a 24 year old I think that's that's a that's that's pretty good value for for a solid young center uh, but uh, but yeah I think they're defensively it's going to be a big concern especially when the likes of Eric Gordon and and P.J. Tucker, and really most of even Harden and Westbrook, they're aging. They're probably losing, or they're probably not going to be as good defensively next year as they were even last season. 
So uh, the defensive end is is a major concern for this team, even though, again, with uh, with adding such an offensively versatile center to James Harden, your, your offense is going to be fine. But uh, the whether they can be even in the top 20 defensively is going to be a question mark. And also, you know, does Wood fit in with their switching scheme? Um, you know, that was one thing that was beneficial about Clint Capella. He not only could catch lobs and be a role man offensively, but he, he could switch with the rest of their roster reasonably well. I'm not sure if Wood is as capable at that. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think that that portion of, of this game is there uh, in, in terms of just, just switching. Like, he's, he's purely going to be like a, I guess it's just a purely like center who's, uh, who's trying to protect. And they're going to try and keep him out of like that type of, or in, in, out of those type of uh, defensive schemes as much as possible. But again, I don't know how that, how that works because like they try and do similar things with Harden, where like they don't want him switching a lot. So, so I'm, I'm curious just how how their defense would, how, like how 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 any of it's going to work. Uh, it's very it's very very curious to me. I'm, like, like I said before, I'm very baffled by by. Yeah, um, I think they're uh, they're trending downward, and uh, yeah, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Just given, you know, uh, it's always fun to see superstar level trades uh, or trades involving superstar level players. That uh, it'll be interesting to see if that uh, if that occurs this season or not with the Rockets. But uh, let's move to to the Portland Trailblazers because they were the team that acquired Robert Robert Covington. Uh, gave up two first-round picks for uh, for Covington, but uh, one of them was the 16th pick in this draft, and this was a weaker draft than than usual. And uh, you know, Covington fulfills uh, or fills a, a huge weakness at the wing for the Blazers team. Then uh, Portland also traded away Mario Hazonia, which again, watching a lot of Blazers from this past year, just getting him off the roster is going to be a big boost to the Blazers' success. Um, they, uh, they, they brought back Enos Cantor. Of course, Cantor was a key center in their Western Conference Finals run two years ago. Uh, he fits their scheme. I think he's a solid backup center. Also allows them to just let Whiteside walk, potentially. Then they signed Derek Jones Jr. with the mid-level. Two years, $19 million. Gives them some more defense and athleticism at the 3-4 at the spots. Signed Harry Giles to a one-year deal. And then also re-signed Carmelo Anthony and Rodney Hood. Uh, the the question with Hood though is he had a, a six million dollar player option. He declined it, and then the Blazers gave him more money, two years, twenty one million. Uh, the second team, the second year is a team option. But it's surprising to me that Portland would would say after Hood tears his Achilles that we'll pay you more money than you were going to make. It's a strange conversation they had behind closed doors, but I mean, Ronnie Hood clearly works out for him. That's a, a better deal for him. Um, yeah, I, I like what, what Portland is doing right now. Um, definitely shored up the, the wing situation. Uh, like, they had no shot last year with uh, Gary Trent Jr. being their only, like, solid wing defender, and he's just as big as TJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. So, I. So I, I like that now that he can play a, a really natural position as a guard and, and bringing guys like uh, Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington, 
who can stand out on, on the wing, shoot shoot a little bit, play some play some defense. And now I'm curious, like, what are they going to do with Carmelo? Hey, is do you think he's going to be okay with just taking a lesser role? Well, that's my that's my big concern, and and frankly, even though yeah, it was a, it was a good story, a fun story last year that Melo had a bit of a resurgence. I still thought he was you know an average rotation player at best, um, and uh, you know with this team now, like I think Derek Jones Jr. is better than Carmelo. I think Robert Covington is definitely better than Carmelo Anthony. They um. They have Nasir Little, who they drafted in the first round last year that I think they would like to see get some minutes to develop. They have Zach Collins, another guy that they invested a lottery pick in uh, that uh, that can play some four. So, yeah, I don't think Carmelo really should be playing much at all, barring you know multiple injuries to frontcourt players. But uh, I just don't see with his reputation and with his stock in the franchise, I see him potentially starting or at the very least getting significant backup minutes at the four, which uh, really, in, in my mind, hurts the Blazers. So it's, you know, it's, it's fun to say, yeah, we've got good depth now, but at the same time, certain guys, uh, and at a certain point, I, I wonder if depth actually hurts them. story just for like my like my fandom i want to see carmelo anthony out there because I, I guess it's just good to see like the people that you grew up like watching like, like watching play superstars now not that they're a little older i would like to see that but like for the blazers no like i i think carmelo anthony should be i mean i don't want to say he shouldn't play but it's like maybe 15 minutes a game that might even be too much right but for them, like this is a good, uh, this is this is a good problem to have. Being at a guy that was like starting last year, playing like thirty five plus minutes in the playoffs, now he's being relegated to almost no minutes. I mean, it's a good problem. Yeah, I mean, again, it's I, I would say it's a good problem until Derek Jones Jr. is getting a DNP coach's decision uh, because Carmelo Anthony is uh, is ahead of him on the depth chart. Um, <laughs> I uh, I love what uh, I love what Olshay has done. Like again, I think going from being arguably having the worst wing talent in the NBA last season to at least being okay now with Jones Jr. and Covington is a big deal, especially given that they didn't have a ton of uh, of wiggle room with cap space and and draft assets and all and the like. So I do think he did a really good job. It'll be interesting to see how much uh, you know how much Stotts can can put out the best optimal lineups. And then also, you know, for a for a team with some young talent in Collins and Little, you would hope to see them get minutes as well to, to see if you've got something there. Um, you know, although I, I feel like Blazers fans have probably been waiting on Zach Collins to, to show something for four years now. But, uh, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting that, you know, uh, at the very least, Stotts has really good five-man lineups on both sides of the floor now, and I think they have the personnel to be a competent defensive team to go along with being what I would expect a, a top-five level offense again next season. Uh, moving on to uh, to the Utah Jazz, they made uh, you know not a ton of moves. They, they did uh, extend Donovan Mitchell a five-year, $195 million extension with $163 million of that guaranteed. 
They re-signed Jordan Clarkson for four years and $52 million, and then also used the mid-level to sign Derek Favors to a two-year deal. So, uh, you know, Darius, what are your thoughts on the Utah Jazz? Of course, they were one, uh, um, one Mike Conley three away from making it past the Nuggets and getting to the second round of the playoffs. They'll get back Boyan Bogdanovich this season coming off that uh, wrist surgery and now have uh, improved that backup center position, bringing back uh, a longtime jazz man and Derek Favors. Yeah, I, I like what they did. Uh, I, I like Jordan Clarkson a lot better when he wasn't as expensive, but uh, still a good piece for their, for their bench nonetheless. Um, Derek Favors, like, he was, last time he was with them, he wasn't as injured as he, as he is now, so I'm curious how well they'll be able to fit in being it now. He's maybe a, what, a year older or two years older, but a whole lot more banged up. Um, yeah, still only still only 29, though. Still only 29, yeah. So so, so, so hopefully he's, he still has plenty of left in his tank. Um, but, but, yeah, like, I, I, I really do like this Jazz team. Um, like, like, I don't know how well they would have done against the Clippers, but, like, you could, you could make the argument that, like, they should have been the ones to, to, to beat the, the Nuggets the, the first time around. Um, and, and, like, the Nuggets ended up in the Western Conference Finals. So, like, the, the Jazz are, like, right on par with them there, and bringing Donovan Mitchell back is, is big. And, and, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them to be, to be pretty good again next year, to be, like, ex- extremely talented and competitive next year. I don't know if I'd call them a championship contender, but, like, they're right on the yeah, I mean, uh, nothing flashy with what Utah did, but I'm in total agreement with you. I really like what they what they did here. Uh, you know, yeah, Clarkson might be a bit pricey, but but at the same time, they had no way of replacing him. It's just essentially the owner spending a little bit more money to to keep him around. So I got no real issue with that. And and yeah, locking up Mitchell long term obviously is great for the franchise. And then yeah, you know. Um, I've heard people complain again, similar to the complaints about the Lakers using their mid-level on Montrez Harrell. I've heard complaints about the Jazz using their mid-level on favors. But, uh, you know, backup center matters. And when the alternative, like last year, was Tony Bradley as your backup center, getting uh, favors in there in in a playoff game, even for those five to ten minutes, is a big upgrade. We saw Philadelphia two seasons ago lose a Game 7 to Toronto because of their lack of backup centers when uh, I think it was Joel Embiid was was plus 10 in 45 minutes and then they lost the other three minutes by 12. Um, so you can you can lose a playoff game because of uh, you know your backup center, even if it is just for a few minutes because you've got a star in Rudy Gobert. Uh, and, and during the regular season, I think they can still play Gobert and Favors together some. Of course, if you want to give uh, Gobert a rest now and again, you can you can slide Favors in as the starting center. So I I don't mind that at all. I think Favors is a quality basketball player, again, still at just 29. But, yeah, you're right, Darius, that uh, the injuries have been concerning for him for a while. So hopefully he's, uh, he's uh, healthy, and, and perhaps the fact that he doesn't have to play significant minutes for this team will, will uh, help him and aid him in, in being able to stay on the court. Like he was like just with Utah a year or two years ago, like the, the previous season. Like he's going to like fit in like, with the 
well. Um, and and yeah, I'm I'm expecting them to, to just be like another another side team again in this upcoming season. Yeah, and I mean, uh, considering we we were just talking about Houston, and I I like the Jazz more than the Rockets at this point. Uh, so I, I really like what they could be. I think uh, Bogdanovich's absence last year was pretty big for them, and just having another guy at six eight that can play the four is gonna be is gonna be pretty big, and not have to rely as much as uh, as they did on Joe Ingles last postseason either. Um, so moving on then to uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, the Sixers and new president of basketball operations Daryl Morey made some made some moves to shuffle the roster on draft night. They acquired Seth Curry from the Mavericks for Josh Richardson and a second round pick. They then uh, were able to dump uh, Hal, Al Horford's contract w- along with first and second round picks to the Oklahoma City Thunder. In, uh, in return for Danny Green. They also signed Dwight Howard as uh, the backup center now that Horford is gone. So, uh, Darius, what were your thoughts of what Maury was able to accomplish in his uh, first month or so in charge? I'm a huge fan of everything the Sixers have done so far this offseason. Um, I mean, the Sixers have been Yeah, I, I, I'm in total agreement. Yeah, getting off Horford for just one first-round pick, essentially, and, and a second, but just the one first is big, and especially when you can get a, uh, a a player that can help you in Danny Green in return. Yeah, that was a that was a great move. And yeah, you're right. They're they're going to get a chance to see what it's what uh, what this team can accomplish, what Simmons and Embiid can do together with shooting around them. Uh, that's going to be uh, it's going to be a great. Uh, tester for Maury to see okay what is this team how good are we can we win at the highest of levels with these two leading the way or do we have to offload one of them and and try to get something that's a better fit uh, this this year I think it's going to be a year where they're just going to experiment and, and see what they have in the in, in those two and and go from there but uh, let's let's move on to Dallas who is on the other side of that Seth Curry for Josh Richardson swap Again, the Mavs uh, getting a second-round pick as well for uh, for offloading Curry. They then uh, traded DeLon Wright and Justin Jackson, I mentioned earlier, uh, to uh, to Detroit for James Johnson, which, uh, again, cleared 2021 cap space. They re-signed Trey Burke to a three-year contract. But, uh, you know, I like that. It's funny, you know, with, with the Josh Richardson-Seth Curry trade, I like Curry as a fit more around Doncic because of his uh, superior shooting, 
But at the same time, the fact that, uh, you know, I think Dallas does need to build up its defense, and Richardson is a clearly superior defender to Curry. And then also, Richardson is, is significantly younger as well, so they add to that young talent base around Doncic and Porzingis. And all the while, clear up more cap space to be one of the leading candidates for Giannis and other star free agents next year. Yeah, the Awundu move just kind of makes you think of like uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist as well, who wasn't a great fit, just that real limited offensive player. Um, but but yeah, you know, given Luca and, and Porzingis essentially make you a top five offense on your own, yeah, I think a lot of the thought is, well, let's just make everybody else on this roster, uh, you know, really solid defensively. But at a certain point, that, uh, that limited shooting will, will start to drag down the offense. Um, so, so, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, Trey Burke as well on this three-year deal. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of rumors that his performance in the bubble had more to do with the fact that he was not able to, uh, to uh, go out and, and do things uh, <laughs> uh, in Orlando. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it's, a, it's a commitment and an investment in what they saw over a, a couple of months stretch uh, in a, in an unusual environment that, uh, you know, things can change rather quickly there. So, so that's something also to keep an eye out on. So moving on to the, the Charlotte Hornets, I, I mentioned earlier they signed Gordon Hayward to that four-year $120 million contract. This just seems to be another example of Michael Jordan refusing to rebuild, and it's uh, probably resulting in another ten years of of obscurity for the uh, the uh, the Hornets. They uh, they also waived uh, Nick Batum to create the cap space. Apparently, there are several contending teams that are interested in Batum's services, uh, and then they also drafted Lamelo Ball third overall in the draft. But it's another situation, again, as I said, of this team continuing to uh, refuse to try and get high draft picks and continue to try to fight for the eighth seed 
when that just uh, really kills your ability to improve in the future. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, starting, like, I think two years ago, when Kendall was still with the team. And they could have, like, they knew, I think they knew that he wasn't, they weren't going to pay him, like, the super max to bring him back. So, they could have traded him and, and refused to and got nothing from him. And then at that moment, they could have said, we're going to rebuild. We're going to go full rebuild. But then they signed Terry Rozier to, like, a four-year, almost $60 million contract. And then now they have the perfect opportunity to draft the number ball, arguably like the best player in the world overall. And, and number three, and they signed Gordon Hayward to a four-year, $120 million contract. Like, I, don't, I just don't understand, like, who's in charge? Is, is no one allowed to talk to Michael Jordan, talking out of, like, out of these decisions, like I, I just don't get it. Like this, it, it doesn't make any sense. And like, yeah, they're going to be competing for for the AC, and they might not even get that. Yeah, and Hayward is uh, thirty years old. I believe he's uh, he's thirty and a half years old, actually. So the last year of that deal, he's going to be thirty three, thirty four, uh, getting paid forty or you know thirty plus million dollars, probably around thirty five million dollars at that stage of the contract. It's uh it's an awful lot. And uh, again, yeah, he's he's a good player. He's nothing exceptional. He's going to bring you up to, yeah, a level of mediocrity that prevents you from getting high draft picks, but then also prevents you from truly uh, you know, getting into a, a position in the playoffs where you actually are doing things. So yeah, it's uh it's real frustrating. Um, but uh, I agree with you, LaMelo Ball, uh, an exciting prospect for them moving forward. Uh, let's let's go to another team that was uh, in the lottery in the Eastern Conference last season and is trying desperately to get out of that position this year, and that is the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks signed Danilo Gallinari to a three-year, $61.5 million deal, signed uh, Chris Dunn and Rajon Rondo to two-year contracts, they uh, traded Dwayne Dedman to the Pistons for Tony Snell and Kyrie Thomas. They later waived Thomas. And uh, they are uh, looked at as one of the favorites to sign Bogdan Bogdanovich to, an, and apparently they, they already did submit an offer sheet for Bogdanovich. And uh, they, of course, have uh, are one of the few teams that actually have the cap space to do that. And in the, in the draft, they, uh, they took Onyeka Okongwu from USC, sixth overall but uh Darius I mean we, we still don't know if they can get Bogdanovich but uh I imagine if they were to acquire Bogdan uh this team is is got to be a contender uh to to make the playoffs and maybe even more than that maybe to be closer to the upper half of the Eastern Conference yeah like given these moves um they're definitely going to be good I, I, I think they're not a shoe-in for the playoffs, but like maybe for the seven or, 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 or eight speed or eight seed, they're definitely going to be fighting for that. Um, and I think the pressure is on just because like Troy Young is proven to be an extremely talented player, and now they they need pieces around him that are you know going to help him get to the playoffs and maybe more. But I'm just I'm, I'm a little confused at like the direction they're going down because before it looked like, you know, you have Trey Young, you have Kevin Herter, uh, draft Cam Reddish, who had 
a rough part of his, or a rough first part of his rookie year, but then started to come in late. And DeAndre Hunter, so look like, you know, they had some solid, or some, some nice, okay young pieces. And now they went the kind of the complete other direction with just signing a bunch of veterans. And we're going to make this playoff push. So I'm curious, like, how all that's going to work out. Right, like, how much do you play Gallinari and, and potentially Bogdanovich, and, and how much does that eat into the improvement of, of those younger guys you mentioned? Yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be fascinating to see. Uh, but, uh, you know, you talk about uh, a core four guys in, in Capella, Gallinari, Young, and Bogdanovich. Uh, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And then you, they also have John Collins as well. Um, you can't forget about him. So uh, th- this team will have a lot of talent. Uh, regard- whether they do or do not get Bogdanovich, they're going to have a lot of talent. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating because if the goal is, if there's a lot of pressure to make the playoffs this season, that uh, puts a lot of pressure on not only the management but the coaching staff to say, well, I guess we can't play these young guys and get them experience because typically young players are going to hurt our chances at winning games. I, I do want to see like the different uh, lineup combinations that, that come from this team because Troy Young, as great as, as he is offensively, he is uh, probably just as bad defensively. So matching him with like a potential backcourt of, of Rondo and, and Troy Young just uh, it's, a, it's a little scary to think about uh, how many how many points that, that those two could, could could potentially give up. And then trying to figure out, is John Collins going to play the four? Is he going to play a small ball five? Uh, like, is, 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 are, you, are you going to start Collins, Gallinari, and Capella? Because then Gallinari's playing the three, and obviously that's not great either. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm real curious how Lloyd Pierce is going to figure out these uh, these lineup combinations. Because, like you said, like there is plenty of talent here. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not sure how it all fits together yet. Yeah, it's it's going to be a juggling act for sure. And yeah, I, I just love the contrast of potentially starting Trey Young and and then you know the teams get used to dealing with him defensively and then potential and then uh, they've got the ability to bring Chris Dunn in as his replacement and what a, a vastly different experience that it's going to be for the Hawks on both sides of the floor and of course their opponents. Uh, but uh, yeah, at the very least, Atlanta's going to be fun to watch this year, and I liked the uh, Kongwu pick as well as uh, a guy that could play a little bit at the four, but also can kind of be the, um, you know, if if Capella is somebody that uh, maybe like a Stephen Adams maybe ages out earlier than you would expect, uh, that he can kind of be the heir apparent there. Um, moving on to uh, to another team in the West that is uh, is trying to. Get out of the lottery. That is the Phoenix Suns. Of course, they made uh, one of the the earliest splashes in in free agency trading. Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, Jalen LeCue, and a 2022 first round pick for Chris Paul and Abdul Nader. They uh, also signed Jay Crowder to the uh, mid level exception, three years, thirty million. Resigned Javon Carter for a three year, eleven point five million dollar contract. Uh, but uh, what was really puzzling was what they did on draft night, taking Jalen Smith with the 10th overall pick, and uh, he 
seem seemingly is a center, and they have DeAndre Ayton, who uh, seemingly has panned out and is their <laughs> starting center for the long term. So why on earth would they draft a backup center when they still need a point guard of the future? You know, Chris Paul is 34 years of age. I mean, why take a, why take a point guard of the future when you can take a backup center of the future? Right? <laughs> it seems pretty obvious to me. Like, I, I don't know. Like, like I, everyone saw, like, Tyrese Halliburton in there. And I was thinking, oh, like, the Suns are going to draft him because he'd be perfect to play next to uh, the Devin Booker. In, in the sense that, like, he can be your primary ball handler and at the same time play play off ball to, to Devin Booker when he needs it. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how, how, how Jalen Smith fits into this, this roster long term, especially when this team has aspirations to, like, make big moves in the playoffs this year. Um, like, that's why you get Chris Paul is to – Get this team like they haven't been in the playoffs since I don't even I can't even remember. 2010. 2010. And now, like, like this year, like signing or trading for Chris Paul is, is clear, like, you're, you're going to get back there. And this move just, you know, doesn't really help you because, like, DeAndre Ayton, he's shown that, like, yeah, he can be your starting center and be a productive starting center. So, Ideally, you want him to play big minutes, and he's like he's extremely young. So, drafting another young center, I, I, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, Halliburton, I thought was the perfect fit because yeah, a lot of the people's concerns about him as a prospect was was like whether he could be that uh, that elite playmaker, that uh, primary creator, and. Devin Booker is the perfect solution to that player because he essentially can be your point guard in the half court because he is a star. And so all of the strengths that Halliburton has is perfect around uh, around Booker. And yeah, like that was my big issue. Like I, I love Chris Paul. I think he's going to make them a lot better right away. But yeah, he's, uh, he's not a long-term solution and they don't have a lot of assets to get that point guard of the future, and they just blew one, I think, it with uh, with that pick of Jalen Smith. But uh, yeah, you know, I think they're gonna be, I think they're gonna be pretty good. I, I think the Jay Crowder acquisition is a solid one, especially given that they 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 threw in Ubre in that Paul deal, so they were short a wing, I thought. So Crowder fills that. So now they've got Crowder, Mikael Bridges. And uh, and Cam Johnson kind of at that three four spot. Um, but the other thing that's confusing about the Jalen Smith pick is, especially if they bring back Saric, we saw Saric was decent as a backup five for them. Uh, so uh, you know that's another guy that's like, well, you've you've got some solutions there, and and they could have brought back Aaron Baines, who was an excellent backup center last season. Yeah, it's, again, a whole lot of head scratching. Like just when you think like the Phoenix Suns have turned the corner and like they're not going to do like the same same things that they've done in the past, they come back and no, they, they they continue to show us who they are. So I mean, I I, I, I still think they're going to be a good team. I, I, I think they're going to be in the playoffs, but uh, but like this type of I guess ineptitude from the front office is. Yeah, it's going to it's going to limit their ceiling as far as this year is concerned, for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so um, they're, they're still going to be fun, though. I, I do think, uh, you know, again, even even Nader, who was thrown in in that uh, in that Paul deal, I think can can be a fourth wing for them uh, that can can help a little bit. But uh, moving on to San Antonio, a team that hasn't uh, had too many perplexing decisions over the years. They've been a uh, model franchise. They uh, they focused on retaining some of their talent at the center position. They re-signed Jakob Pertl, three years, $27 million. Then they also re-signed Drew Eubanks as a backup center on a three-year contract. Uh, they also drafted Devin Vassell, 11th overall, a uh, a guy I liked. I think he's got good three and D potential at the wing spot. And then also DeMar DeRozan opted into his player option at $27.7 million. But uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on San Antonio? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to... It, it looks like they're going to try and keep building for the, for the future. Um, they were kind of tied... The hands were tied with the DeMar DeRozan situation being that it was completely decision on whether he was going to opt in or not and uh, and obviously he, he, he did but I, but clearly I think they're going to keep trying to improve with, with like Derek White and DeJounte Murray um, and keep getting guys on the floor like uh, like Lion Walker and and keeping Yaka Pearl around he's, he's still extremely young and he, and he did a, a lot of good things last year when uh, Marcus Aldridge went down so um they're going, to, they're going to try and keep building up those young guys, but they can't be but so bad, being that they still have to lose, and, and Marcus Aldridge will he'll, he'll, he'll be back. So um, they can only be, like, like the floor is like a certain, a certain, a certain height, so um, they're going to keep getting those, those, those young guys minutes, but like they're going to be a, a, an okay team, good enough to make the playoffs. I'm not sure about that, but, but they'll definitely be competing. Yeah, I um with with the acquisition of Vassell through the draft, I uh I really do like uh, the young core that they're building, and and frankly, um I would love to just see them not play DeRozan because <laughs> I I love I would love to see them you know play more with the uh, the two point guard lineups, especially with Derek White's improvement from from the three point line in the bubble that he showed. Uh, and then you know you've got uh, Vassell that I think should should get some minutes just to to uh, uh, grow with experience and and they've got they've got a lot of young talent um, so I, I think they're going to be fun I, I think they could surprise some people I, I like their young core uh, quite a bit I think they could make a run at the postseason in the West especially since we've seen a few teams um, like Houston like Golden State's uh, you know. Um, get a little bit worse worse for for various reasons. We'll get to why Golden State's a little bit worse in a bit. But um moving to uh to New Orleans, they of course uh, have had a, a busy offseason starting with that holiday trade to Milwaukee, got a, a king's ransom of a uh, package in terms of picks. They got the 24th pick in the 2020 draft which uh, they later traded to uh, acquire Stephen Adams. They drafted Kira Lewis, a point guard, with the 13th pick in the NBA draft. So, you know, spending a first-round pick on Steven Adams, I know I know he's only uh, 27 years of age, but he, he plays like he's 35 at this point. Uh, um, uh, I, I question that a little bit, uh, but, but they have still continued to, to build out their, their war chest of, of, of draft assets. 
and uh, I don't mind the pick either. Getting Lewis, a guy that uh, you know I think is 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 incredibly fast and and fits their sort of up tempo style that I think they should build around uh, Zion and Brandon Ingram. Yeah, I don't get uh, like the, the whole trading of Stephen Adams and sending a first round pick. Um, just doesn't make sense, and I, I I don't see how he pairs with Zion either. Um, right. Like, he's not really making any shots outside of the paint. And Zion, most of his damage comes from inside the paint as well. So so that's a little confusing. I'm curious how Stan Van Gunn is going to figure that out. Um, but, yeah, like, but like oh, everything else surrounding this team, I'm, I'm really like, I'm sure uh, Brandon Ingram is going to be signed at some point pretty soon. And, um, and I, I, I expect I, I don't know if I expect him to, to, to make a, a playoff run next year, but like like this is a team who's they got a strong core and, and, and foundation coming up, so I, I, I like the big jump for the most part. Let's let's move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Of course, I mentioned they uh, they were able to trade Stephen Adams and to get a first round pick and a second round pick for that. Just brilliant work from Sam Presti, continuing to just get. Uh, copious amounts of draft picks for the future. Uh, they uh, Ariza and uh, Justin Jackson were the matching salary in that deal. Of course, traded uh, Chris Paul, uh, as I mentioned earlier, for a future first, uh, and got Ubre and Rubio. And then was uh, uh, Presti was able to reroute both of those guys, Rubio to Minnesota, to move up from the 28th pick in this year's draft down to 17, and they took Alexei Pokasevsky. A uh, seven-footer with a seven-three wingspan that is, uh, you know, has the skills of a guard. He he does only weigh two hundred and five pounds. So as uh, Fran Fraschilla would say, he's probably two years away from being two years away. Um, but uh, they they then sent uh, Ubre to Golden State and got a heavily protected first-round pick. Uh, that pick is protected one to twenty, and then if it doesn't convey next year, it becomes two seconds. And then also, uh, of course, they. They lost a Gallinari to Atlanta, but uh, not a lot to talk roster-wise with this team. Although they've, uh, you know, I, I probably can't even keep track of who actually is on the Thunder roster at this point. But uh, they certainly have continued to build assets for the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure, but I, I, they own the first round in pretty much the next four drafts. Like they have so many picks that that don't even belong to them. Um, it's pretty remarkable. So I'm 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 excited for, for their future. Um, but in terms of like this year, uh, I, I I feel like this is tanking at, at its at its best, like getting all these picks. But the team could, could still be okay. Like like adding Horford, like Horford's still a very serviceable player. You have Shingo just Alexander um, to Yeah, that's going to be the fascinating thing because you're right that they still have enough talent to not be one of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, but I'm pretty sure Press that's where Presty wants them to be uh, to to make their own draft picks the more all the more valuable. 
So, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, if uh, if Al Horford's going to get a bunch of, uh, you know, oh, he's 34, he's going to get to rest on the the the, the uh, all of these back-to-backs. <laughs> and, uh, we'll, we'll see what sort of shenanigans they come up with to try to hurt their team's chances of winning games, but I imagine that's what they're going to be doing, and and frankly, rightfully so. You know, if you're if you're trying to rebuild, I am I'm fully on board with the whole uh, Sam Hinkie the process, uh, getting as many high draft picks and and uh, trying to get as many shots at that superstar talent as possible. But um, moving on to uh, the Golden State Warriors, of course, the uh, the rough news that uh, Clay Thompson tore his Achilles really uh, you know takes the Warriors out of title contention this year, and I was one of the, the people that was a little bit more optimistic about the Golden State's chances of competing. I, and, and now it's, it's obviously over. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the ownership and the front office still continuing to, to keep that salary high. They used the Andre Iguodala trade exception to acquire uh, Kelly Oubre, which added $66 million to their luxury tax payment. Um, and uh, they, they signed Brad Wanamaker, uh, signed Kent Bazemore, and of course in the draft took James Wiseman, a, uh, a young, talented athletic center, second overall. Uh, but uh, yeah, Darius, I guess first off, um, are you surprised that, uh, that the team opted to still use that trade exception and still keep that enormous salary to um, theoretically compete in, in future years? And, uh, and then also, you know, how good can this team be this season with, uh, you know, the acquisitions of, of Wanamaker and Ubre? So it doesn't surprise me that the team's still trying to be competitive because in the off chance that fans are allowed back into the stadium, like, I'm sure they want to do what they can to have fans think, oh, this is a competitive team and we can do things, come see us. Because that new stadium, cost uh, their, their owners a uh, pretty penny. So it's like they need to do what they can to try and pack that stadium because obviously the pandemic is killing their ability to to, to make money. So, so like, I think that's their sole motivation to try and make this team competitive this year. Um, but in terms of how, how good I, I, I think they can be, um, like Draymond Green is going to have to like, revert back to how good he was a couple of years ago, and Steph Curry is going to have to return back to him. He can go form, which I think both those things can still happen. I don't think it will result in them winning the finals, but like they would have to revert back to like their versions of themselves a couple of years ago, and like they can still be extremely competitive, maybe get out of the first round, maybe. But I feel like that's probably their ceiling. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm not even as high as you. I, I think they can. They can make the playoffs. I don't think it's a guarantee at this point. But, yeah, I would be pretty surprised if they got out of the first round in the West. Um, you know, you the, the thing that's so weird about their roster, when you've got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson being arguably the number one and number two shooters in the world, is when those two guys are on the floor, it doesn't really matter who the other three are. They're, they're like an A-level shooting team. <laughs> um but like, as soon as you take one of those guys out of the equation, and especially if you replace that player with an average or below average shooter, like they're probably going to do this year, they all of a sudden become an average to maybe even below average shooting basketball team. Um, so yeah, I, I question their ceiling this season. I think, yeah, could they be the 7th or 8th seed? Certainly. 
uh, just off of the power of, as you mentioned, if, if Steph and Draymond show up. But, uh, yeah, I, I, don't see a, I don't see any sort of a playoff run for this team. And then also the other, the other thing is, you know, this, uh, this decision to get, bring in Oubre and have that $66 million in, in additional luxury tax payments, that could get worse come next offseason because Oubre apparently has some massive salary demands. And on this team, he's probably going to put up big counting stats. So they're probably going to have to shell out a ton of money to keep him. And that's just going to continue to make those payments astronomical. I agree. And I like the idea of trading for Uber just because it gives them just, I guess, another guy offensively who can who can make things happen. But I don't think it it's, it's, it might not be worth just how much it's going to cost them, just because like just the six sorry that sixty six million dollars just sounds as it, 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 it is it's as bad as it sounds. So I don't know if it was worth it from from that standpoint, but like I can I get why why they're doing it just because like they're just doing anything just to try and stay just a little bit more competitive. But I think that the one thing that the that I guess there's there's hope in is how good James Wiseman can be because if he can come in and just be like ready now in terms of like defensively, then I think that changes changes their like what they can do like a, a little bit. Like if he can come in and be just like a solid rim protector and and he can average maybe like ten and ten, then I that might change like a little bit for them. Yeah, um, you know I, I think. Wiseman is in the perfect place for development, given that he can learn from Draymond Green. Uh, You know, Draymond doesn't have, like, the greatest athletic tools in the world, even though he's got a pretty good wingspan. He does it largely just because of his effort and his basketball IQ. So if Wiseman learns from him, I think he he could become a good player down the road. I just don't see it as a rookie. I think if if anything, if, if... if Warriors fans are going to have a little bit of optimism, even you know next year once Clay comes back, uh, that maybe by year two, once you know you get a year under Wiseman's belt, then maybe by year two he's an impactful center. Uh, I could maybe see that, but have a hard time seeing it in year one. But I'm I've also been a little bit lower on Wiseman, I think, than than a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just a bummer because I really did. Uh, just as an NBA fan, want to see this Warriors group have one more shot and take, you know, have one more run at it, and uh, it's questionable whether that will happen now. Uh, but uh, moving on to the the Brooklyn Nets, uh, they uh, they re-signed Joe Harris on a four-year, seventy-five million dollar contract. They uh, I've mentioned this uh, or this uh, deal a couple of times, but they traded the nineteenth pick in the draft to the Pistons and uh, got uh, Landry Shamit. And uh, they also signed Jeff Green as well to add to some of the wing depth. But, uh, you know, there's been no James Harden trade as of yet, Darius. But uh, what do you think about uh, what Brooklyn has done uh, around the fringes? Oh, I should also mention that they uh, they declined uh, an opportunity to bring back Garrett Temple as well. So, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on what, what Brooklyn has done? Uh, when I first saw the four-year, seventy-five million dollars next to Joe Harris's name, I was like, "That seems like a lot of money." But 
surrounding like if Kevin Durant can get back to like close to to what he was, if 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 Kyrie is still in, impactful, um, like like they're going to be good. And just putting shooters around them, putting guys who can defend around them, um, that's essentially all this team really needs to be successful. And so so like Joe Harris, like him just being a knockdown shooter, one of the best shooters in the league. Yeah, like keep that guy. Uh, Jeff Green, he, he's shown he can, he can be like a solid, a solid wing. Uh, in, in in general, like like he was he was he was pretty good for Houston last year. So like if, if you're getting that same guy, good. Um, yeah, like I like Brooklyn's potential, and uh, and yeah, I'm 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 curious to see like how they're gonna still figure out their like the rest of their offseason, being that like Harden. Is Yeah, I, uh, I, I really like this team. I think their shooting guard position is uh, is stacked with uh, with Lavert, Harris, and Shamit. Uh, of course, with uh, their point guard position is solid, uh, as, as good as it can get, really, with uh, Kyrie and Dinwiddie. Uh, the Jeff Green adds a little bit more depth uh, at the 3-4 with, uh, or I guess Green is more, it really can't play the 3 at this point, but at the 4 with, uh, with Durant. And you mentioned, you know, they've got a young center in Allen and a veteran center in Jordan. So, uh, you know, I I, I, I kind of wish they would have kept Temple. I think he was a solid guy that can play the three a little bit. But, um, you know, other than that, yeah, I think it's it's pretty good. And, yeah, to, to use the 19th pick to get a guy in Shamit that is, uh, is already proven as an NBA player and is on a, a really good contract for the next couple of years is a, is a really solid move. And, yeah, Harris, you know, it's a lot of money, but again, you know, you you lose him for nothing or you pay him is essentially how it works. Uh, so uh, I, I'm just uh, I'm just really curious, you know, whether they do go the route of, of trying to get that third star. I really like kind of how the roster looks right now, and and I think they are a, a contender in the East as it stands. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the roster now. I feel like if they get harder, um, it's not going to like turn out well. Like, I don't, I, I, I can't, I just can't picture a scenario where adding, like, Harden and Kyrie and KD on a team, like, that is a lot of, it, it, it just seems like a lot of ego in terms of, like, who's going to get the last shot, who's going to take the most shots, like, in the game, it, it, it just seems like a lot, like, that's, like, way too many clips in the kitchen, and so, like, I personally would hope for them that they don't, that they don't make that move, but. Yeah, I I agree. I think you know going after a Harden or even a Bradley Beal, I just don't think makes as much sense because I think that with with Irving and Durant, you're gonna be good enough offensively, and this team already has enough shooting as well around those guys. What this team needs is defense, you know. So there was there was talks of like a potential trade for Holiday or. You know, even somebody like trading for Gobert, the those trades to me make more sense, and you probably don't even have to give up as much either, so you can maintain some of that depth. Uh, so yeah, I I would probably just keep it as is, or if I'm going for that third star, I would prioritize someone with a skill set that uh, you know brings something different to the table than 
than Kyrie and, and KD. Yeah, it's extremely repetitive, especially with Kyrie and and Hart, because neither of them is, are giving you much defense, and they're just going to score a lot of points. And the other thing with Hart is, like, once he leaves Houston, are we sure that he's going to or not be sure, but he's just going to have to like, go back to a regular offense where, you know, you have to move off the ball. You can't just stand and watch the offense do do things. And, and like, you know, it's going to go back to a real offense. Like, not that I think he can't do it, but we just haven't seen that in many – you haven't seen it in, in many years. Yeah, so uh, Darius, I've had you on quite a while here, so I'm just going to kind of go over some of the highlights on some of these other teams, and uh, you tell me uh, any any uh, deal or or team that you you're interested in talking about here. But uh, the um, the Sacramento Kings extended De'Aaron Fox on a five-year, 163 million dollar deal. Uh, the Indiana Pacers re-signed Justin Holiday on a three-year, 18 million dollar contract. Let's see, the uh, the Washington Wizards uh, re-signed Davis Bertans for five years, $80 million. The Memphis Grizzlies retained DeAnthony Melton on a four-year, $35 million contract. The Minnesota Timberwolves uh, spent $60 million on a four-year deal for Malik Beasley. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, out of those, or maybe a deal that I didn't bring up that uh, we haven't mentioned yet, is there anything that, uh, that, that piques your interest? Yeah, I agree. I thought the draft pick of Halliburton was great value and a pretty decent fit next to Fox. Um, the uh, the issue I have with the Kings offseason is they seemingly, as far as as far as I know, they seemingly are going to just let Bogdan Bogdanovich walk. Uh, of course, there was that initial trade where they got uh, um, they got Dante Divincenzo in that sign and trade with Milwaukee, but even that I thought was uh, you know not, you know fifty cents for the dollar for. Uh, for Bogdanovich's value, whereas they had, in my mind, the cap space and the ability to re-sign him. He's only he's 27, so that would be my 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 big issue. Despite yes, I agree. Uh, maintaining Fox for the foreseeable future is good. Halliburton was good. I just uh, I don't understand why they they feel like they need to move on from Bogdanovich when he was arguably their second best player last season. Right. I had a feeling they were going to do this once. Got resigned for the contract he did because yeah, I, 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 it, it just made sense that like there's no way they keep both of those guys, and they're not going to. It, 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 it's, it's, it's leaning towards that they're not going. So and I mean I and clearly it's the wrong decision, but um, yeah, like I in my mind I was already like sort of expecting. Yeah. Um... They did clear some cap space last trade deadline, and I thought the purpose of that was so that they could they could re-sign Bogdanovich, but apparently not. And and yeah, it's one of those things. 
as you said, where maybe you, you make a mistake initially and that leads you to make a second mistake. Uh, but uh, I've had you on long enough. I appreciate all the time you've given me here. We had a lot to cover, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun chatting with you, Darius. Thanks thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Rich is a big one, so I'm glad to do it. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review preferably five stars, and uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be... uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine including soccer and film and television so uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week you can find me there you can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at Corbin NBA that's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A so uh, he uh, he does a does a good job on Twitter as well he's very active I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.